Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome yet again to episode 51 this time of the Mad Axeman podcast. Of course we have the usual crew, of course we've got the usual features, Andy's quiz, our chat about painting, some discursive conversation about gaming. In fact this week even a bit of a deep dive into um, the still fledgling Art de la Guerre Renaissance, but also we get into some pretty deep and meaningful conversations about what has happened to all of those big games that we used to play when we all used to be friends with Peter Gilder way back in the day. It's a long one, we cover it two to three weeks after every other podcast and it's coming your way. Sit back and enjoy the podcast. Well, look, this is 51. We've done more than 50. Hello, everybody. Hey. We've got four. Oh, oh, there they are. <laughs> They've all survived. And there's still all seven of us here in, um, in, in episode number 51. And not um, going anywhere. No, nobody's going anywhere at all uh, in, in this one. We're all locked in on uh, recording on a Monday night. And um, after, after a couple of weeks ago, I actually, um, in fact, I just got this through on, the, um, on Facebook, actually. Um, the winner from our draw from a couple of weeks ago is was based in Sweden and he's just posted some pictures of graciously receiving his markers from Martin at Bexilia. Um, some lovely photos on things. I think um, he was saying hey. that the, gen- the general in combat marker is likely to get used, but the clear, um, clear sort of ambery plastic um, cohesion marker hits it looked like his. Um, I suspect sort of 10 to 12 year old daughter was already trying to eye them up to drill holes in them and make jewelry out of them. So they may never actually got deployed on, may never get deployed on table. So, yeah. so possibly we'll, we'll go into a, top- a different battlefield. That could be it. So that's a, um, that's a, possibly a topic for us um, for a future week. What, what war gaming gear could you translate into, into wearable jewelry, into jewelry, which would be a thing. But, um, but without further ado, I guess we better pile straight in. Cause we've got a fairly packed program today with our, um, scheduled planned a new thing actually just full stop planned um foray into trying to pick up an issue that other people have already talked about to death of um, about big battles but but let's just run around the houses and um tamsin you're you're up on on screen now i can see that you're you're outside the four seasons garden center uh, yes. on your zoom background yep, between a, I, between a dildo, dildo shop and a crematorium yes <laughs> between a dildo shop and a crematorium um have you seen the the graphic that's doing the rounds on social media that lego have produced a set of that now as well oh excellent <laughs> but uh, not entirely <laughs> sure it's true but i wish it i wish it was but but tamsin what what's what things have you been um you've been painting because it was was it still oh, the tail end of the i haven't actually project? finished anything this okay. week I had a bad, That's the first had, time in had 20 had bad, weeks you made us feel all good. Yeah, I had a bad bad week for insomnia, which left me pretty crap. Oh, and then okay. yesterday I woke up and I'd wrenched, somehow wrenched my right shoulder during, during the night. Hmm. So tried a bit of painting and no, my, my arm was up to it. It's a bit of a non sequitur between uh, insomnia and then I woke up. I had insomnia during the week, feeling crap, so I didn't do, really get, get, get any painting done. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm just wondering, Sunday, I'm just morning, wondering. Sunday morning when I woke up, 
I was just wondering how totally vigorous your paint, your brush strokes must be if um, if wrenching your shoulder puts you out because these are only fifteen mil figures. Um, but but I guess it's the close yeah. control, isn't it? Really, that that does it. So yeah. these these look like are these more Donington guys. These are um, Donington guys. I've foot I've foot leaders for and characters for Romans and Germans and also uh, a Scorpion and crew. Oh, is that, is, that a, is that a Donington Scorpion as well? Yes, it is. That's a, that's a nice little model there. Um, coming with separate Yeah, groups. so I've still got to do the metals, leather work and the basing. Uh, hopefully, shoulders easing off now, so it should be okay for mm. to do that. No, I don't show me. In the next couple of days. Those those three Roman officers at the um, sort of front, they're really good figures. I've got some of those. They're they're kind of really bulky and kind of oh yeah, they look like they've been. They look like sort of a, a fat French policeman, um, you know, <laughs> with a club or something. That would um, sorry, I, I watched a film last night that had um, fat dodgy French policeman in it, but um, <laughs> that's a bit front of mind. And um, has that one got toes? Can I see? Is, is there toes on that one? Yeah, you can see toes. You can see toes. Yes. 15 mil toes. Okay, fine. Yeah. We'll all step back. I, and, and pretty fat toes, I mean, the, yeah. if you can see them on, 15, on a 15 millimeter figure, but yeah. No, Donington artillerymen are useful because he sells them individually. Yes. Oh, they're the guys at the back. Yeah, hmm. I didn't, didn't do a close up on them because we'll get a close up, close up when, when they're finished um, on the base with the scorpion. So. And you've got, a, we can actually even see in that shot, you've got a very well-organized paint stand. Is that, is that a bespoke? That's a nail, or nail, that... nail varnish rack. Nail varnish rack. And that just looks like it's got browns and beiges and whites and is, uh, you have different ones. There's a few other colors. colors. There's a few other colors on, on the bit that's out of the picture. That, uh, okay. And several more on the desk out of the picture. So how, how many paints do you have in your different colors to you having your palette then because that's you know i because i i'm sat here with far too many but then i end up just not using them all but um you know there's some which just languish for a long time unless i'm doing something specific uh, yeah uh, I've, i haven't got the full range of vallejo model color or model mm. air i've got i've got a good range of them i've got a couple of game color and game color and okay. game air and one or two army painter yeah, no, that's nicely Vallejo, uh, a good mix of... Uh, yeah, I, guess I prefer the Vallejo, I mm. model collar and model air, for different purposes, obviously. Yeah, I think I've been drifting these. I, the metal, I metals, apart from the golds, I've, t I've pretty much switched to using the model air, I Vallejo model air. I say still... All right, so you, use air, so you use airbrush paints for doing dry brushing then? If they're model uh, air, or is that just a different? Um, I, yes, yeah. I, I, the Vallejo model airs, model air metals are so. I, the silvery metals are fit, are reasonably fit, re oh, thick right. enough to do dry brushing with. So, okay. so you're right. telling me how to get more bling? Yeah. <laughs> Yay! You start instead of spraying them gold, is your approach, Peter, isn't it? And then I, I, down when I can spray them gold, then I can highlight them with more bling. I like this. Yeah. Okay. No, I've, I've never even looked at the um, airbrush colours. I've just assumed that they would have a different consistency. But I, the, sort of the standard, the metals, 
are fine apart i it's the got either gold colors oh crap either copper's okay. good but <laughs> the gold the gold good. and brass are a bit meh a bit meh <laughs> either brush painting that either definitely meh all right so what do you use for I've, gold and brass then um I use the model colour ones, but, the it, model but I usually mix those with Leho glaze medium to make them a bit more fluid. Easier to, cause so there's a thing called the Leho glaze medium. The model, <laughs> model colour metals are thick. Right. Oh, okay. They're, they're kind of proper gloopy stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's been it's been a week of staring frustratedly at some 15 mil stuff that you've been yeah. trying to trying to do then but um but you still made some progress and um probably yes. blitzkrieg them next week yeah hopefully okay all right um dave you're you're painting away at the moment what what's um oh toothbrush no not i was gonna say not toothbrush between the teeth um paintbrush between the teeth and that's a lot of paints that you're waving at us there um they look like oh, are they army that's painter? just his blue colors that's just yeah, his blues <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a proper, that proper size yeah, that's a proper set, just of blues. <laughs> and those are Muji makeup boxes. From Muji, you're such a stylish um, West End shopper. Did, is there a Muji um, in John Lewis in um, in Sloan Square? Is there a Muji uh, franchise? No, I, I, the one on Tottenham Court Road is the Muji I used to use. Oh right. Okay. But but they didn't have a good haberdasher, so um, so you had to go to really Peter Jones. Wargaming, very good for wargaming. Right. Okay, so what what are you actually painting? Never mind your um your uh, interior design and fashion tips. Wurttembergers, one of the last regiments of the uh, division now. Have mm. they got a funny name? Oh right, so yeah, yeah. so that's a good point. Um, hang on a sec, I'll just go and Captain get. Captain Stefner. Yeah. What have I done with them? Ah, uh, they're a bit. Well, I've just put them in the other room to uh, uh, anti shine, matte varnish them. But they're, 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 I've got flags for them now. So the Francomont division, which has got mm. a very nice pink flag, and I've cut. So War Flag Geezer sent me the flags. Very nice guy, Stuart. And um, I've cut off his little trim where he says which regiment is which, and I've stuck it on the bottom of the base. So you oh can, wow! Yeah, so, so you you're not going to forget. When you forget. Yeah. No, that's impressive. Well, there's um, only four regiments. You should be able to remember them, really. Well, it's what von Schafferstein and Frankemon so far. You're not going to mix those names no, up, are you? A couple of prints, thingamajigs, and things like that. <coughs> but I've also discovered Van Damme's division in 1809, and I've been reading about the Battle of Abensen or something. Abensburg. Yeah, which is where they were the uh, principal combatants. And yeah. well. that was that was that was during the. Um, one of the battles where they sort of turned the Austrians back from the invasion of Bavaria, and uh, um, was one Bavarian corps which took so one was one Austrian corps which took a week to march 63 days when 63 miles when advancing. It took them two days to march the same distance when retreating. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, because so I read on the Danube by some Gill guy, and it's, it's really yeah, that's a good book. Yeah, I'm Jack, forty percent through it on the. Uh, Kindle, so I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, it's a good book, that. Well, I'm getting confused between my cause and the blah, 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 but Van Damme's Württemberg division is now uh, superheroes. But that, that, that's okay. kind of the end of the uh, that project. I don't know what to do next. 
So you're going to have to actually buy something, or or did you say that yeah. you're um, you're putting stuff on eBay as well? So yeah. you're shifting some stuff out. Trying to anyway, yeah. I've I've got I still I've still got Frank's left to paint. <laughs> But they're definitely on the back burner. I'm so bored of them. Yeah. Um, so there's some Byzantines, and I've got some Byzantines to finish off, which I'm doing. There's a few more camels left, I've discovered somewhere. Okay. What's annoying me is like um, Zyston have gone to sleep. They've started doing their early um, Achaemenids, and they've done the Immortals and the Infantry, but the cavalry seem to have uh, stalled. Might have been stuck because their sculptors have got coronavirus or something. No, that's probably horrible things to say. No, actually, that that, that does well. Not the coronavirus story, but that that does remind me. I I have been meaning to to sort of rebase some of my Essex Sparabara as um, um kind of I don't know more biblical looking ones um, and pretend that they're Babylonians or something so that I can buy some new Sparabara from either museum in the sale in January, which is probably creeping up on us quite quick, or possibly from Zeiston. We'll have to have a go at that one. So, so really, then, you, you've just been... Really, really good. I mean, they're obviously Zeiston supermen, huge. Yeah. You only need six to a base. and hmm. uh, I, I, I might be able to do a little deal on a few unpainted ones, those, Tim. Yeah, I'm, I'm in two minds, though, whether to, to wait for the museum ones just for that variety of poses and um and actually try and pack quite a lot on the base try and pack a load more more archers but i'll have to have a look see what museum are doing with those but um so other than that it's just been been finishing up and trying to work on the next project then yeah i think i mean what i was thinking this afternoon is um the syrians need doing don't they but then yeah. well, sam was supposed to be making some assyrians and they've just disappeared I don't know, I, I, I find it difficult to follow Kurasan because that website's a bit clunky. And, yeah, um, they, they have it on their Facebook, but they don't have it on their um, site. It's very strange. So if you click on the Facebook link, it, he's updating different ones, but it's only when he gets a full set that he actually puts it over on his website. It's quite odd. Is he selling yeah. one website then on uh, Facebook? Um, no, you can... No, he doesn't sell them via the Facebook, but if you contact him, you can still buy the stuff. But it's weird. If you go on the Facebook, there's a link that's on the website, but the two aren't linked up. So you can actually link to it on the website, but it's not joined up properly. We see those like secret pages on his website. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to have to rejoin Facebook purely on a wargaming basis. Yeah, it's one of those producers wargaming I, honestly, I'm finding Twitter's a much nicer wargaming environment um, at the moment. It's just easier to to unfollow the people who um, you want to unfollow, um, and you do have to sort of build up a, a nice little community on it that it's your own, um, which is kind of interesting. Facebook's a lot of volume and a lot of noise um, and a lot of pictures. As you found out this week, no, there's all sorts of stuff going on with it, definitely. But but I'm just finding Twitter's a bit more friendly. But um, all right, so so not much on the painting front from you then, Dave. What about you in your in your kitchen there? Um, what's, yeah, I what's finished, been I finished the, the camels. I've more or less finished the Normans' uh, foot knights and their shields. So at the moment, I'm now painting up 
Dare, dare we well, ask the badger? Dare we ask the badger question, or do we do that to death? Uh, I've done a badger on the flag. I'm not sure it shows out too well. Okay, no, um, it, but there's something black and white there. Um, yeah, that's meant to be a badger. Brilliant. All right, that, I'm sold. Right, and now I've, at the moment I'm just painting up some order markers for Batai Empire, and then I'm going to move on to probably some the hop the peltas that i kept forgetting i'd ordered but i've actually got um and then after that i think it's going to be some miniature ships ah what what type of ships uh italian one three thousand world war two okay so so super niche then super niche yeah super tiny. that's right all right okay has any any kind of learnings jumped out this week or has it just been finishing off stuff that you'd you've managed to work out last week anyway yeah, I'm, I'm a bit happy with, 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 the, with, the, with the shield colours. I've just done contrasts and made them fairly big, bold stripes, and that seems to work okay. okay. So, so I just kind of have about seven or eight different paints, and I alternate what colours and stripes I do and make some chevrons and make some checks, and that seems to work fine. You've got a nice variety of colours for shields. Okay, all right. Yeah. Did you did you ever get those um th th those twelve millimeter Victrix Sherman tanks yet? Mine haven't arrived yet. I think um, I was chatting to Adam earlier on today, and um, I think Adam, have you, you yours have arrived? Have they? Your um... I've got um there. I've got the Stugs and the um, German infantry. Yeah, I, I also had some Dachshunds as well. But yeah, they, they turned up um, a few days ago. Wow! Well, look, that's that's the exciting stuff. Talk to me about that because mine my Shermans aren't there yet. Well, I'm here yet. Um, got to say, um, if you're after well-made, finely detailed models, these are the ones for you. They they are. Um, wow. They are. They come in about six main parts, and then you got sort of like a hatch or a sort of like crew yeah. member to stick out the hatch type thing. Um, and they're all finely detailed. There's lots of um, grills, and there's lots of. On. <laughs> well, like, like spare bits of track stuck on the top and things it, it, like that. It looks like a 20 mil figure melted down, not melted yeah. down, shrunk down. Shrunk. So, so it's very, very good. They're, they're very, very good. Although I and also coming with that is there's a painting booklet, mm -hmm. and it a is book. an actual proper booklet. It's not sort of like here's a leaflet for a vague bit of advice. Wow. There's a painting guide booklet. Um, but it's all kind of interesting, really, because 10 mil, I do 10 mil because I I look upon them as war games counters, war games figures. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas these, these are like really, really nice. And this um, painting guide, for instance, it starts off by explaining, yeah, I know you usually use um, acrylic paints, but mm. to do this properly, you've got to use oils or what? enamel. That's um, starting and, point. Holy baloney. And a, a lot of it is... Um, his um, his bedside airbrush is a Renegade Chrome from Badger <laughs> with a 0.2mm needle and he usually used two bars as a rule of thumb but in some cases he goes up to three. It's a really detailed, if you want to do a beautifully painted model and these are beautiful models and um, this is a guide for you. For me, so, Adam, are you going to do it justice? No. Uh, I, I, are you having a, a new sort of drive so you can go to this level of excellence? No. Um, to, to be perfectly honest, if I if I wanted 
to, to do that. And it's, it's a good thing and it's a beautiful thing to do. And Tamsin, for instance, is a far better finger painter than me. And she always will be, but it's not something I'm really, really into. And if I was into it, I wouldn't be doing it with 10 mil figures. Yeah, I'd be doing it with fair. 20 or 25 mil figures, you know what I mean? So I would have much preferred a painting guide of, here's a quick and dirty guide of how to get quite good looking tanks on the table relatively quickly. Because um, the, the difference between two and three bars and a 0.2 millimeter aperture on his Badger airbrush, <laughs> yeah. it, it just kind of leaves me cold, really. But... Yeah, and using Ireland enamel washes... Yeah, it's... it's on a 10 millimeter model, it's... Sorry, sorry, can, can, can I have a moment, please? Even Tamsin said that's a bit over the top. I mean, <laughs> I, I, we're really, yeah. I think that's the first time I've heard that one. Quick the moment of silence all round, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's Ooh, so it, it is beautiful, um, and if you want well-detailed models, you don't have to paint them like that. If you want well-detailed models... Um, these are the ones. For me personally, I'll probably be more. I'll probably go back to buying the sort of like the metal Ben Dragon or something because um, I, these are probably nicer and more mm. detailed. But I don't want the detail. And um, in return with the Ben Dragon, I don't have to glue the bastard things together. Well, excuse my language. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's sort of like I want good enough. If yeah. I wanted this good, I would have twenty mil, twenty five mm. mil. So. Um, they're beautiful. They're really yeah, so nice. I'm curious as to how they would compare to Pendragon in size. Sorry? I'm curious as Go to on. how they compared to Pendragon in size. I've, made, um, I, I I've, don't know. I've heard, uh, seen someone on Facebook this week. I've uh, never said I, they're about the same size. Really. Yeah, I think, I think I've read as well that Pendragon, because I had a lot of Pendragon stuff, but you know, I got it all eight, ten years ago. I mean, you, Adam, started doing this. It uh, might be that long ago. Um, and I've heard that Pendragon have remodeled a lot of their stuff to scale it up from, from 10 mil, which is a kind of woolly scale anyway, to all of it to become a lot closer to one, one forty-fourth scale, mm -hmm. which when me and you were you know, young men, Adam, um, and going to discos and nightclubs was, um, was called 12 mil um, yeah. and 10 mil was something different. But, but I think Pendragon have remodeled all their stuff um, or a huge chunk of it and done it done it as proper i mean it would be good if war game standards for this scale they started talking about scales as opposed to notional mm. 10 mil 12 mm. mil it's like yeah. 144 is a scale engage yeah. is, is a scale it's like yeah. 10 mil 12 mil 15 mil 18 mil 25 mil 28 mil heroic so, 30 yeah. mil it's all yeah. blah 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 so war game figures don't do stuff and for me again it's like especially with um, the world war ii stuff i don't care too much yeah. Um, if if it's the same model tank, if it's a Sherman, I probably wouldn't use different companies' Shermans in the same mm -hmm. unit. Yeah. But I've got no problem of a slightly oversized Sherman shooting at a slightly undersized Panther, sort of like yeah. 90 centimetres yeah. away. I, I well, play games with them. I don't do dioramas, so I'm not too worried myself. Yeah, but I think although part of that scale thing is that for vehicles, I think my understanding is it's sort of with Pendragon changing their moulds, it's moving towards one one forty four scale for yeah. vehicles, whereas for infantry, you've always got that question about how tall is a bloke or you know whatever, and are they wearing a hat? But but infantry are probably better slightly over scale because then you you get a bit more detail on them, and they're mm -hmm. not you know they're they're just slightly different to the tanks. Um, 
So um, my suspicion is most stuff is moving towards 144. And that's not such an issue as when me and you got our sets of this stuff first time around a decade ago. Um, and it's done because I've this week I, I got delivered some some stuff from Red 3 that is a little company um, who um, a few of us saw at the Plymouth show in January of this year when shows were still a thing. And, and I ordered some more from the bloke and they are that thing you said about simple, but, but simple enough. These are really, really clean castings. I ordered some, um, I'm trying to think what I got mostly, um, two five ones, the Hanamags and because they are, you need half a dozen of them. And I had a real hodgepodge in my old collection of different companies and scales and they all look different. It was a bloody mess. Um, and I've sold them all off on eBay now uh, to, to things. And, and I've just got six, which are all the same. And the quality of the casting isn't in the detail and the, you know, the rivets and the rest of it, but the quality is just, this is really clean. And I found that sometimes some of the, the 3d printed stuff and, and even some of the Pendragon stuff can be a little bit rough um, in terms of its casting. These ones look like, you know, it must be brand new molds and they're in, in some sort of different metal. And I, I posted a few pictures on, on Twitter and on Facebook and, and the comments coming back, people were going, they are really, really, really clean um, things. And particularly one, I, I one like, thing I was like really... the infantry. Uh, I like the molding to the infantry guys sitting in the, in the half tracks. Yeah. Little guys sitting in the half track. And then the 250, the recce vehicle, they, I got like a, one with a commander's vehicle and one with a 30 mil cannon. And the 30 mil cannon and the two or three crew was in a little module that drops into a neat space in the back of the 251. So you're not faffing around with separate crew. You're picking up a, a little square footprint block and slotting it in. And then they'll be able to swap out with the, you know, the 75 mil short barrel gun or the, all the other different bits and pieces into the same one. And it was just the, the cleanliness of the casts. And I got some, hands of fours from them in January and, and a couple of other command vehicles. So, so I, I'm kind of waiting for a few more of those to come out, but, um, but I did also cave in and buy some, um, a couple of bits and pieces from Arrowhead, which, which I think are the gold standard for, um, or certainly were the gold standard for that when they used to be called war game South. Um, and I've got a load of Germans sitting on tanks to kind of sit on the back of the, the tanks that I've got um, coming as well and doing that. But sorry, Adam, go, going back to you, we talked about the, the Stugs and the other stuff. Have you been painting anything or has it been mostly waiting for that stuff to arrive? You were saying you might have a hiatus last week. Well, yeah, weirdly enough, because it's like I, I put a lot of effort into finishing off the Romans, so I wasn't going to do very much. Um, but last Monday, when we were doing a podcast, I was just I just got me um, some Asian cat fracks out to sort of start cleaning them up. Um, and they're Warlord figures, and they're really, really nice. Um, there's, there's 12 of them. Some have full cataphracts, some have just got the front half, some have got the body without the head, and it's going to be a lovely-looking unit. Mm. And um, they, there wasn't too much cleaning up to do. It's like drilling out the hands. They, they give a really nice wire spear. It's got a leaf head, so it's properly moulded, and it's nice sort of like solid spear. So the day after, I was thinking, well, they're actually quite quick and easy to clean up, and I've not got anything to do for the next three quarters of an hour. So I sort of like, I um, cleaned them up. And then the day after that, it's, they came as horses with the rider's legs and you had to glue in the body. 
So the day after that, I thought, well, living in the body won't take too long. So I'll just kind of get that done. And I was thinking, I really wish, um, <laughs> I'm not sure how to glue this. I really wish there was some sort of like podcast or something that I could refer to for advice. About, about... glue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't suppose if you could suggest anything. I think, I think we probably could find one for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll look back in the archives and um, what and put a link. Sorry? What material are they? Oh, they're metal. They're metal. Um, they're Warlock, yeah, they're metal. Yeah. Um, I pushed the boat out and bought, um, bought metal ones. And actually, the gluing I did, I'm not sure whether I heard it when we were talking about the podcast, I heard it before, or it was my own stupid idea, but something came into my head. Of, I used Araldite because it's got to stay sort of like yeah. glue. Yeah. Araldite takes a little while to dry, and gravity can take effect. So um, I also put a little spot of uh, super glue in as well. Um, so the super glue yeah. held it while the Araldite dried, um, and that, that worked really well. And then the day after that, I think it was the only day last week where it wasn't raining. So I thought I might as well take advantage and get the spraying done. So I sprayed in black because anything that's mainly metal, yeah. um, I always undercoat in black. So I got that you, you done. Don't go, you don't go with the Peter approach of spray gold and then try and rescue them. No. <laughs> no. 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 Um, and then that evening I thought, well, sort of like dry brush and metal first because it's quite messy and you can overpaint stuff. That sort of, so I, that won't take very long. So I did that. And then I thought, well, the horses, there isn't very much horse to paint because it's mainly armour and that's mainly already. Yeah. So that won't take too So I ended up sort of like, I've, um, from bare metal taking them out of the bags, um, now I've got them, um, all the horses are done and I've just got bits of the riders to um, finish off. So for a week where I wasn't going to do anything, um, yeah, I, I did more than I probably usually do because it's like just like little steps. So that was, that was um, quite handy and it's all looking quite nice. And I realised I really like, one thing I really like about painting figures when you undercoat them black is when they're undercoated, they, they're so black it almost seems like a void. It's hard to see and I've got to put my glasses on and get them light. But putting colour on, I like the way that the colour brings out the figure. It yes. goes from being yeah. just sort of like uh, just a shadow almost to, um, to a dark shadow to sort of like building the figure up from the darkness. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've been um, I've been enjoying that. You've been going all a little bit poetic with your um, your pirate bandana. On, uh, I, they don't call me the uh, pi pirate poet for nothing. mate. The pirate poet of Bournemouth. That's it. <laughs> or have you been mixing up your painting brush and your rum? And your rum. Yeah, <laughs> that could be. Yeah, we'll be reading the Bournemouth newspapers for um, for weird stories of, of strange happenings of banditos in the night, um, I imagine. This means war. This means war. So, um, Simon, you you were you chipped in there with the the rum question. Um, what what have you been spraying white this week? Um, or oh no, I know we've gone past that stage. You're now doing frilly shirts or something, aren't you? Yeah, so um, I've now finished off all the plug and shots that I was working on last week. So finished off um, eight bases of cavalry. So these are English Civil War um, horses with you know uh, buff coats, big pistols, and all that charging in, and finished off the musket only and a couple of yeah as a war giver tends to have you find that you've got a bunch of spare figures so um they became some later tercios and then i went back to some of the older models and um and as people have commented since it was raining you couldn't do anything 
I've got some glue. I've got a whole bunch of banners I printed off. Let's have some fun. So um, various units got um, banners got added. Glue, let's have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to the glue, aren't we? Yeah, that's always part of it. Yep. Well, things okay. you can do with, with um, um, various types of glue and you know, rain and all that. So um, but anyhow, the, um, the models all look good and you can definitely recognise some of the units now with various various um, heavy metal bands as banners and things like that. So, so has, has it been one of those weeks where you feel, because you know, when you have banners, sometimes it feels like you're making huge, huge progress on stuff that's taken ages to get to to a halfway stage was it was it one of those weeks or is it still are you doing the banners a bit too soon almost in the process no because i'd um i pre-staged a lot of the banners so i had a lot of options available and it was just good to actually get the banners onto the units because then once they've got the banners they've all been flopped as well so it's like and now i've got pike shot done mm. i might have a few too many but that's a whole other story um yeah you you can see the Swedish units, you can see some of the French units and things sorry, like that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. In, in the same way as about Tasman with uh, painting, you saying you've got too much pike and shot. Um, <laughs> that's like, I, I think it was a Friday the 13th recently. It's just, Peter, only a few, this is just know, weird. Only like a complete army too many. That's not that, that's not overdoing it, is it? I, yes. once remember, I once remembered someone very wise once saying in relation to collecting war games figures, it's impossible to have too many of something you didn't need in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that may be, the, may be the secret that we're looking at here then, definitely. So you've, you've been, it's really been Renaissance, and I, you know, you've sent me a copy of, um, of, the, of the Renaissance rules for ADLG, which I'm going to have to hack into because I just... I've been doing quite a lot of painting um, clearly over the last few months. Yeah. And I just feel that um, rebasing feels like cheating. You know, you, there's a lot of stuff that you could rebase and then suddenly you feel like you've got an army yeah. that you, you did have before, but you've re retarded it up. So in some ways it's, it's wasted work. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's, it's um, art. It doesn't need to be done or anything like that, but, but it does give you a, a a very quick result of something that's kind of finished and i'm thinking that i've done so much painting of new stuff over the last few months that i can probably justify and um, particularly as i've bought all the bases already and, and already magna based them um i can probably justify doing some rebasing and then then doing some new sort of basing styles and things like that um to to try and tart up some some different units and and do it because without kind of feeling like I've cheated myself. But then, then you get into that bigger question of, of basing styles. And and I've over the last Perhaps couple we should of do years, a podcast on it. Yeah, maybe we should because I think it's one of the things we've talked about before. But but I'm I'm really on a kind of tipping point from most of my ancients and medieval stuff are in two different kinds of basing styles. I've got a medieval basing style that I've done for 15 years and a and an ancient basing style that's and the difference is one's on a brown base and one's on a sandy base um so you don't do this like green carpet effect then not green carpet no no they're they're one's sandy and one's brown and then they've got blobs of it used to be flock but i pretty much well i moved over to static grass quite a few years ago but there's still some legacy flock stuff there but more recently i've been basing with with gluing sand and things and, and doing stains with it and dry brushing and it just looks much better but I don't want to go back and do all of my old stuff. But 
but there's a tipping point at which you've done enough and then it makes it difficult to morph stuff and, and be consistent but, but i don't know maybe um maybe there's a whole question on on what do you do for basing and what are the different basing techniques and where do you get the tufts maybe maybe that's something that we could you know we could dig out and and do next week does that sound like a plan yep. okay yeah. yeah all right yeah let, let's do it let's right maybe it's not quite the whole special although maybe we'll, we'll cut it out and do it as a standalone <laughs> piece but but yeah let's do it let's do a basing thing so that it might give me some steer because i've got i've got a ridiculous number of vikings that need to be rebased and um and some of them might end up on ebay because i've just got too many but it would be good to get the the group's view in fact if i was doing an ebay sale army through rebasing it might even be a chance to experiment on stuff that could be an yeah. idea and one of the good things with the rebasing especially now is as as your style evolves and all that you sometimes look back at some of your, your first you know something you based 10 years ago and you look at those uh, the basing game hmm, i used to cut out my bases from cardboard yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> they look like um yeah <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm literally doing that at the moment you know i've, I've got on the work desk here um I've had loads of, you know, all those one three hundred scale tanks that I've refurbished the load from my brother and I've got buckets of the thing. And there's still some sort of, you know, six and half a dozen of this and that the other hanging over that I never really got around to finishing. So so I've got I think about ten of the pre printed of the printed plastic ones, T fifty fives, which are you know, they're throwaway junk tanks. So that they they just look like tanks. They look like a, a child's drawing of a tank. It's it's fine on that one, and three chieftains and and I'm trying to match it up with some of the basing that I did years ago, and it's kind of kind of tricky. And then you're thinking, am I ever going to use these? I've already got far too many of them, but, so, but it's sorry, just old basing. Too many tanks. This, you know, yeah, in you can't have too many tanks, especially as a Russian player. Well, you can, you can't, you know, because I've got I've got moderns. European and modern desert and they're in these kind of a4 size folders from, from I think paper chase that probably hold you know 50 sheets of paper and um and, and I've got seven of them which is it feels like quite a lot um mm. <laughs> when I keep looking at it and think how little I play but but other than that this week um has been finishing off a few more of a few more of the Arabs um I can't remember if I'd got no i think it must be this week actually i got a turntable it was one of those ludicrous ebay things i know months and months ago a few of us all got um light boxes for five pound posted from china on ebay and, and we all spent a fiver and thought this might never be here it might be shit and um and then they arrived and they ended up being really really good and take really good photos and i've got um i've got a jewelry turntable that has rechargeable batteries and it's this thing this thing here um that is about let's get this about this one is does it to the magic roundabout tuned it basically does yeah it's almost it's about five inches across which is bigger than i thought um and it's got three buttons i'm not making any jokes about that no exactly that's the way it works it's just perspective um it's quite fat though isn't it and um and it goes um it goes left and right it goes three different speeds and it can go full 360 or it can sort of turn and, and flip back. And, and I've taken a couple of little videos of particularly 28 mil figures. Yeah, the 28 mil figures in the light box that, that they just, well, obviously they turn around because they're on a turntable. 
and you get a 360 view of the figure which taking a static photo is obviously a static photo and it can be good but sometimes it, it kind of misses something so i think it's another it's another toy but the, the damn thing was only about fiver um from shipped from china and it came quite quickly it must have come in in about a week and a half or something a couple of weeks and um it did need three rechargeable batteries which i wasn't really aware of because the details weren't there so i think i paid about another fiver for for three rechargeable batteries because it didn't work with normal ones but now if you look I, um on i think i'll post it on facebook um on on mad axman on facebook there's a little video of some of this stuff going these different figures going round, and you can see the the 28 mil arabs which was these fantastic peri figures um their um northwest frontier afghan or what whatever they are um but without the guns and some of the north star artisan bowmen and some other bits and and i've been gradually working <coughs> working the rest of the arab spearmen and infantry of which there's about 70 or 80 a bit closer to getting done um you know it's do all the black hair and mustaches and then do all the spears and then and go over and do something else because bits have chipped off and um i think i'm now at the stage at which i need to do all their shoes which is just like you go i've got to get kind of a beigey brown out and paint 120 feet um on these figures and then i'll have to go back and repaint the socks and do a few more bits and pieces to to this arab army that's getting nearly close enough to be done but because there's sort of 60 or 80 of them at the nearly done stage it's a lot of work to get them that last few hundred yards over the finish line that that is starting to be kind of challenging which i think is probably why i've been diverted into buying 10 mil tanks and um and waiting for i think element games to deliver me some um um dunkel gelb spray as well to to do the germans and, and kind of do a more consistent german um set although i think andy we did a a kind of dodgy <coughs> accidentally meet each other outside a random cafe um near your house i deny it you deny it as well and um yeah. and um, that allowed us to do a tank and basing um dodgy secret handover yeah that, that probably confuse the hell out of anybody from mi5 who might have been listening to to the far more interesting people visiting the cafe than, than we were mm. uh yeah it's, it's i'm just curious what 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 rules are you thinking of using for your uh, 10 mil uh, world war ii but i think you know it's blitzkrieg commander really but oh, it, it right. would be interesting to see if um the new um the new tfl world war ii rules oh. Which well, is, it's, it's not actually TFL. Not theirs, is it? No. It's David Brown. It's David Brown, who um, a lot like of people... O Group? Yeah, O Group, which yeah. <clears throat> there's some really good talk about that from people who know their shit. Um, I don't, I'm not close enough yeah. to that sort I of watched, thing. To... I watched three... Either... Is this David Brown who wrote yeah, um, um, General the Brigade? Hmm. I believe I so, admit, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm not a great fan of his rules. Only rules I've played of his I find very ponderous. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe, no, say um, what you mean, mate. Yeah, spit it out. No, it's fine. Um, but there seems to be quite a buzz about it um, from people who know World War II as an option. But yeah, BKC is great. You know, it, it's it's a narrative game. It, things happen, and you watch them when you're trying to command your troops, rather than 
micromanaging to try and win, which is where, where my head's at. very badly and nothing happens, you're all right. <laughs> having a cuppa. And, and I'm absolutely happy with that with World War II. That's the way yeah. I want World War II to be. It's, it's yeah. kind of a, watching a story rather than taking part in a battle to try and win. It doesn't matter yeah. who wins or loses. It's about putting stuff on table. For me, I've, I've not, I've never, never wrapped my head around BKC. I always got confused between so something. If you hit a unit, the whole thing gets disrupted and can't move or something. Or I got that wrong. Some, if you, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I think you you hit things, you hit them a number of times to kill them. Yeah, but but each time you record a hit, you've got a chance of suppressing them, which takes them out of action for the next turn. So yeah, that's right. And and a, a unit is is more than one base isn't it so if you had a tank unit of say three tanks and you hit one of them and i think the whole thing gets suppressed no, or maybe no, no, i got no. that wrong no i think you've got that wrong it's it's individual bases that get, yeah. that get right. very individual yeah yeah no we, some of us have had some huge games of that it scales up really well um okay well i'll be interested to try that again sometime because uh i mean i do i do enjoy rommel but that's a different scale yeah. game altogether yeah, that's completely uh, different. Rommel's more operational at the same yeah. level. Well, well, Jeff and I have had a number of really good games with Rommel. Um, and it's, we enjoy it. But, yeah. you know, as I say, it's different strokes, different folks. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very different scale of game. Yeah. And um, so it's been, it's been kind of all sorts of different bits and pieces this week. It's, it's been a bit of basing. It's been, you know, just ink washing some tanks, trying to get some 28 mil stuff done, ordering some... 10 mil using a bit more um a bit more bio strip on some old 10 mil tanks and in fact simon <coughs> last week we were all saying that oh the bio strip was um brilliant and never damaged anything and this week i found something it completely melts oh excellent a little was it? yeah it was a little bit awkward so i've got some of those um well sort of it, it wasn't a sideboard or something like that was it? no no it wasn't thank god for that no it was um so it, I've got some of those pre. You know, you're not supposed to drink it. Well, I think um, I'm off the um, I'm off the beer from um, beer fifty two now. So I think they've been starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, with some of their obscure types of wheat beer and things with crusty bits in the bottom. So so maybe maybe there's some of that. But um, it, it, but but yeah, going back to it, I found I've got some of those Takara or Dragon pre painted one 144 scale tanks which are again fantastically detailed they're injection molded they're pro they're pre-painted they're, they're japanese kind of toys um really really good and i've got a yag tiger that i wanted and i was in two minds whether it even really needed um paint stripping but um i thought i'd try it with the bio strip because i was going to spray it respray it anyway and the tank, the superstructure is absolutely fine. The wheels are absolutely fine. The rubber tracks are absolutely fine. Um, the barrel and the the mount, barrel's probably probably I vinyl. The barrel, I think, is vinyl, which is a very different plastic to the rest of the kit. So the rest of the tank is pristine and it's all come off, and the barrel just has turned to kind of a lump of mush, um, which Ooh. is just like oh. <laughs> So, so I've had to cut the barrel out, put a bit of brass rod in, do all sorts of faffing around, and it still looks a bit like it's been hit by an alien heat ray, um, which is which is a smidge annoying. So the the wobbly, bendy bits of those, um, but luckily I did it on the Yag Tiger, and didn't put the four Panthers in that I've got. I'm only doing it in small batches, so 
I think the four Panthers, I'm just going to spray um, on their base, on their base paint and hope that the paint, um, you know, covers up the camo that they've got before. Why these pre-painted ones? They look quite, yeah. why do you want to? No, it's, it's, yeah, the, the pre-painted ones are really good, but my old, um, last time I had uh, collected these 10 mil Germans, I made a real um, feature out of it being a, ad hoc battle group with different paint schemes and you know that real late war cobbled together thing and <clears throat> i liked doing that at the time but but at some point i stopped i fell out of love with it and i went actually i want a whole set of tanks that have all got a proper camera scheme on that's consistent um okay. i want that fresh out the factory thing so having four which are slightly different Oh, fresh out! Just, just be straight, Dunkel Girl. I suppose it'd be Dunkel Girl. Yeah, but I, yeah, okay. I know Richard. Yeah. Uh, I have the red brown, yeah. red reddish brown, and green paints mm. in yeah. the field. Yeah, exactly. So, so I want them all just done out the factory and into the um, into the unit, rather than having this real. I was over eclectic before. I think. Um, so, so I want to try and do the Takara, and also I think I've got, I've got better at painting. And I've got more time and more patience to try and do the, the sort of the blended stuff. And and I'm still, I think I said this last week, what I've still got to get in my head around is whether I can do that kind of airbrushed looking effect with a brush um, and blending the paints or whether I am going to end up, you know, getting, what was that? What, Adam, what were you saying? A three bar? 0.2 millimeter aperture, usually two bars, sometimes might go up to three right okay so i need to get one that goes between two to three bars basically this is going to be like the um, little britain sketch isn't it mr man what i'm looking bar? for an airbrush that goes to between two to three bars there's an aperture of 0.2 millimeters margaret margaret What's oh, the uh, about? i don't understand that's, that's air pressure um right i was going to say is it i, I did wonder i thought mm. wow, okay that's air pressure. So Margaret will be getting an airbrush possibly um, on that one. You have to have a so, for this or something. It could be. It could be. This means war. What about you? What's been your week of painting? I'm going to finally get myself off mute. Um, pretty slow. Um, been boring. Been working too much um i've had a whole no, i think we can, I I think we can all be grateful for that can't we we've, we've seen the results it's been fantastic we'll yeah. back to trade shows tomorrow and um it'll be fab gaming by by january hopefully yeah mm. um yeah. <laughs> yeah so basically yeah just been very busy with all that fun stuff um okay. but um lots of stuff i want to go around to mm. um just uh um hopefully be dabbling more stuff later on this week when things calm down a bit right okay so a nice simple week for you then all right okay yeah by about thursday next week by about thursday next week it calms down well we'll all be watching the news for you to to appear in um, a pair of spray on um gold superman pants or something diving down i've got some uh don't tell us don't tell us it's all in the pacific's ellie yeah, yeah. What's what happens in the Pacific stays in the Pacific. I think when it comes to well, we were you and your gold shore, so they they fit quite nicely. 
I bet they did. I bet they did. Um, right. So um, with the painting piece done, um, who's been gaming this week? I think um, Mr. Lee Ray Mayer, you, you've got both hands up in the air. You had a spectacular gaming experience. Saunders too. Um, the Finkelator, have you been gaming? Yep, that's it. I've, I've done some gaming as well. So um, is there an Adam gaming thing or no, you're just not online? Um, Tamsin, anything from you? Right, so I'm guessing there's three people here who have played each other in some way, shape or form. So Simon, do you want to kick off with your, your side of a story of either a great victory or a terrible defeat? So um, Saunders and I had our first game of um, ADLG Renaissance using Tabletop Simulator. So that was quite a hoot. So we had um, the classic Swede, latest, uh, sorry, 30 Years War Swedes versus Germans. And a, um, there was blood, there was violence, there was mayhem. Um, both, our, both our wings, mounted wings, collapsed with um, cavalry wow. going through the sides. The Swedish um, infantry came charging down the middle and perceived to give me a, a, um, a substantial kicking. But we think by the end, I just managed to break Dave before he broke me. So um, it was quite a good game. We got every element on the table in combat or in shooting. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Nothing wasted. It was, everything was involved. So did you, did you actually, you know, cause that's always the big, big challenge with all things Renaissance is can the cavalry break through on the wings and influence the center at all? Did that, did that happen? Or was it, you know, a sweep away on, on one side and the other? Or because I guess that was a real challenge for Renaissance generals because sometimes it did happen and, some, and a lot of times it didn't. Yeah, it just ran off. Sorry? Oh. So sometimes the cavalry just ran off. Yeah. <laughs> <It's been laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, um, we had um, on both flanks, the Germans slowly pushed their way through and started punching holes. And you could, you could, you could um, visualise what was happening. You know, the Germans held the, um, the Swedish charge started to push a few holes through, then very quietly, a couple of units were able to break out into the flanks and then did the hard turn and started to do the, the Pac-Man effect of you know, rolling up the, the mounted. Meanwhile, the infantry saw what was happening, just went right for the baggage. And um, Dave's artillery was in um, um, about a turn away from being charged, charged to the ground by um, a Karassi unit. Um, just as wow. his Swedish arrived and proceeded to give some of my German infantry a substantial kicking in showing why the Swedes were well good. So um, it was quite a good game. We had a, okay. there may have been a few whiskeys involved and, um, ah. and it, it was Thinking nice. During the get, game. It was nice to get a good game of Swedes versus Germans. Cause often we, you know, as Tim, you and I played uh, in Fog Renaissance, the Swedes were never a very big army. So, they were good, but you could get into their flanks in a, few, in a couple of turns flat and you could basically rip them to pieces. Yeah. Here, it was a little bit more matched up, so um, Miami was slightly wider, but still it wasn't a rollover in two turns flat. You actually got a good couple of hours of game and you felt you could push and do things with a bit of terrain and all that. It really made a big difference. It was quite yeah. enjoyable. I, I thought, but, you know, Simon, I've noticed when we played it that you tend to find that one army hits its break point before 
the cavalry can tend to roll up the infantry. But is, is that about how you play the game rather than how the game plays out? Because that has to be, you know, within your control. If because it's interesting in a game, we'll talk about a game I played this week as well. That that sort of dynamic of if you go into everything in a line at the same time, the infantry combat will just take longer. Yeah, because it does, and this the. the not the skill that's almost the wrong word for it but the the self-control is actually to if you want if your plan is to win on the on the flanks the challenge is to make sure you commit on the flanks first mm. to buy yourself some time and that's a bit of kind of game management or battle management rather than just going we'll put them all in the middle we'll all they'll, they'll all hit at the same time and and the flanks oh, should nice. resolve quicker well yes you can do that but sometimes it's never entirely clear at the beginning whose cavalry wing is going to overcome the others. Yes, yeah, so in this game... Sorry, sorry, Adam? That's a good thing, though, isn't it? <laughs> Not being sure who's going to win, otherwise yeah. it gets a bit boring. I guess it depends what you're... Would, you, would you think it would um, play well for expanding up to make it into a quite large, big battle? I think it would. I reckon you could... Um, you could very easily do, say, the Battle of Lutzen as an example, where you had a very distinct Swedish army, a very distinct um, German ally, the Sax, the uh, Saxwamerians, versus a mass German. You could break it up to two commands, and you could get a you know, either a very large table or a couple of tables worth of these armies are rolled up now fight as a themed battle. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Interesting. Dave, Dave, you were on the other end of this. Um, what sounds like an outrageous result. Do you do you think you were robbed? Were you a genius? How how did it play from? Um... I played um, a reasonable amount of Folgar, nowhere near as much as Simon or you. Hmm. And um, I, I like Folgar. I thought Folgar was a good game. Um, I thought so. I've played. Simon's version of ADLG Renaissance. I played one game at the club when we were really, really practicing, trying to see if it even worked. Yeah. And then this is my second, maybe third game of this. Mm. And I, I, I had absolutely no problem playing the game, setting it up, doing a list. I mean, I know I've got some sort of background history knowledge of mm. Starbus Adolphus, so I had some idea of that. Um, I found it very easy to play. Once you played ADLG, it was straight in, you know, okay. very, very easy to tap it on from one to the other. The one, the one thing I, I mean, I, I base my army very much around a sort of Fogar, yeah. army, which has got less cavalry. I think Simon had a lot more cavalry and he had cavalry on both wings. And I think that made the difference. Mm. I had no cavalry on one wing, but it was, it was real cut and paste. I mean, I, I was sitting there looking at uh, five cuirassiers in a writer against my three much better quality cavalry, and I negated his other cavalry with a veteran pipe and shot unit. And it was real cut and thrust. At one point, I thought my cavalry was going to sail straight through his cavalry, but then it sort of ran into a slogging match and it didn't work out for me. But I, I thought it's a really good, I thought it's really good fun and worked really well. So, so do you think, you know, okay, we're talking one or two games here, but are you saying that um, you 
need or you feel that it was better to have bigger cavalry wings than in Fogar when they could get sort of slightly they did they didn't necessarily have a chance to win on the wings and and achieve much sometimes I think that 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 was the thing I think this you can do I mean although I did luckily remember the fact that you could turn into a square with your pike and shot what's his cavalry around the wing which was which held me on for a little while if I, if I hadn't remembered that I'd have gone down my right. ball flames but no I, I thought it was really good I thought it was really really good okay and um and Simon just didn't mug you off by being the author of the rules and and, and no, not at all. pulling it, stuff out of the bag then he was he was humane with you but then we're going to play again this week and we're going to do an earlier period we're going to do one with tercios right um, so, from having some sort of knowledge, I might try and use sort of Spanish in Netherlands or something like that. But that that I possibly will get mugged off on because I have no idea. <laughs> what you're trying I've to achieve? I never bought the figures to play that in Folgar, and I never. Well, that's ones. All right. So that, so, that, that's going to be a lot more uh, weird and interesting because I've never. But Tercios take a lot of hits, Dave. They can take a well. Uh, tercios can take up to eight hits before they die. And they're sort of squares in themselves, I know. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've got, you've got to hit them from behind with a, the bloody sledgehammer before they notice it. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to really enjoy that because that's going to be a whole different bit of yeah. history, a different time period. Did you, <laughs> oh, that's a time period I've never played. Yeah, so did you also play, I'm looking at the people who are waving, did you also play Andy this week? In, I did. I, I, we, we, so Andy and I played, Andy and I, very good English there. I, um, <laughs> we played... We played a game of BE a couple of weeks ago where Andy rolled me over by his cavalry just charging straight across the table and occupying my back edge, which was, that felt really odd to me. Mm. But we, we played again this week and we up um, scaled it. We played you on, put a river there. <laughs> yeah, the, the river was, yeah. We, we've, I've never had a river in the game before, so we were sitting there working out how the hell the river works. But that, that was, I mean, that, that feels like, I mean, we're really getting there with that. And I really, really quite enjoying that. I mean, it does help when you're winning. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're working our way through to, to try and learn the rules properly. So we, as we come across things, we're actually looking up the rules and trying to make sure we understand what we're doing. So rather than build on false um, yeah. foundations, we're sort of trying to learn it as we go along. Yeah, because that's on our to-do list as a group, isn't it? To do a... Yeah. be we all know enough about it to actually talk about it sensibly for for more than about five minutes without kind of, um sort of podcasty thing so yeah so it's okay it so seems, we're, it we're making very, progress it seems very sensible and, and authentic so far okay well, yeah, that's really sure, isn't it? Is, uh, whoever runs the bataille empire uh forum mm. please set me onto the forum so i can ask <laughs> some questions about the rules Right. I think that's probably Hervé himself, actually. So um, maybe no, someone should... they, they normally put it through straight away. You've got to do one of the little quiz things, though, to authenticate before they put you through. Yeah, so unless you did that, it won't go through. The French flag, I got that right. But no, I've got an email back from them saying, hold the line, please, you'll be allowed in. But... Well, look, you know, um, if there's anything that you need to know about the Napoleonic Wars, I've, I've just done like an eight-week course on it. Um, I'm now an expert <laughs> on all things. So, so if there's any difficult questions, you can always come and ask me. Um, I'm, I'm here for... Yeah, then you can Google the answer afterwards. And I can Google the answer afterwards. Well, I've, I've, I've become a serious expert on the Württemberg division. So, uh, right. I think well, I'm, I'm sure that will, that will do you... The entire internet of what... 
you know, I've, I've created a Pinterest page thing uh, of my own of every single picture I can find on the internet of Wurttemberg. You've Is created that a picture a Pinterest of General Van Damme on your wall, Dave? <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm, and I'm thinking about buying a brand new book at Christmas for 23 quid, which is a, a history. Things that happen when you've got time on your hands, is that it? Dave? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you created a Pinterest board for the Wurttembergers? Yeah, I've got one for uh, Bavarians, Westphalians, one for... Were, were there any other Pinterest boards already about the Wurttembergers, or is that actually mm, a... Uh, no, there weren't, I don't think. No, I think Amazing. That's you're, you're the leading Wurttemberger on Pinterest. Is that your new claim to fame, Dave? Well, there were lots. There were lots of pictures of them in other people's Napoleonic army sort of thing. Right. But I thought I'll collect them all together in one place. Where mm. I well, look, you, you'll have to send me the link so I can um, publicise it in the pod for for when both other people who are interested in this are really interested, they can go and find it somewhere. <laughs> people keep um, coming along and stealing my pictures, which is great. I find that yeah, very fascinating. That is sort of what Pinterest is about, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. just kind of yeah. how it works. Well, maybe okay. both of our listeners might be interested. Yeah, both of them could be interested. I, I, I think Pinterest is wonderful. I think it's a really wonderful resource for war gamers. It really is. I've got a Samurai one, French line, Dragoon, French Dragoon one. I think you, know, you mean basically one for each time you're painting a new army, basically. Yeah, exactly. So Honestly, I think it's great for that. I think that's very, very true. There's so many good images on Pinterest. To you know, just just you can do a text search on stuff, and there's there's all sorts of stuff. It's yeah. you know, once you can fight your way through all the interior decor um, that's on there that makes up most of it. There's some really, really useful war game graphics. The one thing that sure. put me off it was the number of emails they send you and have to sort of unsubscribe to different groups. Yeah, there's an awful lot of that stuff. It's um, yeah, I think I still get quite a lot. I've been unsubscribing furiously for quite some time, but but yeah, once once you start, I think you can just still search it even necessarily without having an account, can you? But um, there's yeah. a lot. Of I just created a separate email address for it and just put yeah. that in junk. You've got a lot off. of the old. Um, 19th century line drawing pictures you know the sort of old pictures of uh napoleonic figures which are quite funky and fun you know okay it's not all uh, osprey knockoff pictures it's um but there's quite a lot of those though isn't there yeah yeah no, there's definitely quite a lot of those okay there's right, well. russian pictures in there which yeah what the hell they are because they're written yeah it's probably something to do with bots and um and, and political subversion campaigns i think um, looks like the russians are really into their napoleonics for some strange reason maybe the russian state is trying to bring back the wurttembergers to un unseat western democracy or something like We're that or a deal, yeah. like possibly possibly well my um my kind of gaming this week just to wrap this one up then is um i actually played a the tts game against phil gardocki who um is the guy in the states who does phil on ancients yeah he does phil on ancients on blogspot and he does more battle reports than i do which um is is slightly irritating yet also reassuring because in some ways it'd be um slightly disturbing to find that i was the most so was he was he using the anglo-irish as he always does no no we had a um it was the first game we played and uh, i think I was hoping to meet him at Cold Wars earlier on this year, but because of kind of incipient COVID, he didn't come um, down to it. But he, so we arranged the game. When you're doing a first game, I always think doing textbook classical stuff is really good. So we did Camillans against Pyrrhic, which is an yeah. army he'd not really put together. And, um, and we both are in the process of doing reports on it. 
I'm doing a video report with a kind of talk through and he's doing a written report and then we're just going to exchange them and then probably do a, a quick zoom chat to talk about it from both sides of it so we both release the reports of the same game at the same time and then do a, a kind of a joint piece together as well um which sounds good kind of fun. but did you win well of course i did mate. yeah you know um, that's the way it was um that's <laughs> the only were you? Thing, really um i was the camillans and um put together a camillan list with a i think it was a sam knight ally with a load of medium impact foot and um i took the the essency the the kind of mediocre spearman as well so i i went a little bit light on legion 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 um has start stuff to to kind of shake it up a bit and this is in adlg it's in adlg yeah, oh, yeah cool. so it, it was actually a, a different to normal camillan list that worked out okay so um but that that will be online in the next couple of days i think as a as one of those videos with me talking over it so if you're desperate to hear much more of me talking for about 30 minutes straight that's i don't think a video for you well you know this is a one-off game so um you know it, it was in in period but it was it was kind of an intriguing list so the list is yeah. in there as well so um cool that, that will be out sometime this week yeah, Dave Ray and I did, did uh, a sort of Pyrrhus type game about two weeks ago uh, with those armies. And since then, we've done two Carthaginian versus Romans, and um, I've, I've lost both of them. So Clive may have passed on, but his die rolling hasn't. Oh, right. You're still, you're still suffering Clive dice rolls then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, Dave outplayed me last week, to be fair, but um, my die rolls were very Clive-ish, so that really didn't help the, the, the process. Right. Okay, well, you know, if that's a few people using the similar sort of list, it will be interesting to, to compare and contrast. This means war. This means war. So look, with, um, with the gaming we've done and the painting we've done now receding into the distance, here is our opportunity as a group to try and do something sort of a bit like what other people have done um because there's been over the last few weeks some chit chat on i think it started on kind of twitter and, and blogger um and and there's a few podcasts about it as well about the vexed question of is the age of of big battle wargaming um over um for, for one reason or another if if so why and and i think kind of the question that pre predates it or provides a context for that that sort of discussion is what actually do we mean by by big battle wargaming um that we've been kicking back and forwards in slow motion on on whatsapp over the last week or so to to try and make sure that we've got at least some vague structure for this discussion um and i think where maybe maybe this is sort of you know nod or wave or, or whatever but I, I think kind of the summary that that we got to in trying to frame what we're trying to talk about was was almost two different things is has the you know the peter gilder and i think adam i think you may have actually mentioned this last week um saying what attracted you into wargaming was was wargaming magazines in the mumble mumble years of of huge diorama almost of tens of thousands of figures um you know almost the wargames holiday center stuff and things like that in the grand manor in the grand manor 
big, big, big figures, big units, big Napoleonics. And, and whether you see as much of that at shows when shows used to happen and, and whether as much of that goes on over weekends with groups of friends in, in sheds or garages or, or whatever as perhaps it used to do. Um, and then I think there's sort of a second piece about that ties into that about even in normal wargaming, is there a, a resurgence or a, you know, a focus at the moment on skirmish level or skirmish plus gaming, as opposed to games that recreate big battles, um, never mind, but at a different, a different sort of figure scale. Um, and I think, you know, we all, we all sit here as people who <coughs> play sort of big battle games quite a lot, but on a fo- small figure scale, but we've all dabbled in the, the skirmish thing. And, and actually thinking about maybe the first part of that question, you know, those huge, enormous battles, a few of us did some big fire and fury stuff um, many, many moons ago and used to do some big Blitzkrieg commander stuff. Um, many many moons ago but I was actually thinking it's it does seem quite a long time since I've been involved in a you know zillion figures aside six players big battle thing but is, is that just kind of me and my work-life balance um, you know does it still happen at, at clubs does it I'll chime in with two, chime in with two comments and mm. then I'll, I'll stop talking. Firstly, I think you see big games like that less in shows because people have figured out that in shows you want participation games, not big games for people to stare and look at. Getting mm. people involved is far better than saying, look, here's a big table. Mm. That's one comment on the big games. And on the do big games still happen, I think the answer is yes. But if they don't happen for you, it just means you're not invited. And people mix up their present life state with what's going in wargaming in general. Wargaming is actually quite a big, diverse hobby. And I can guarantee there are people, not at the moment because of COVID, but a year ago and in a year's time, there'll be people meeting up in groups of 12 to refight Gettysburg. Because that's what wargamers do. And that's like kind of fun, really. But that's my... But is, is there a you know on on that second piece is and I think we talked before you live quite close to entwinement in Bournemouth that kind of way um, <clears throat> we're all still in central London where we've got um, a pub that we can use sometimes at weekends and and sometimes there are biggish games played there but does is there a thing about and, and parking shows parking shows for a while we can come back to that but do you think there's a thing about the rise of um, of those sorts of entoyment style venues as a place for for very visible gaming that doesn't lend I, I itself think... to that? I'm leaving this for three days and, and we're coming here all, all weekend and we're taking up 10 of your tables, mate. Talking to some people at shows, um, you, you see people who have got um, from some of the clubs sort of West Country, that sort of way, that they have areas and sort of terrain they can leave out for several days okay maybe, maybe some there's clubs with clubhouses then that can can do this and and as, as i said some people doing it in their sheds i on sort of war games blogs so you've got eric the shed hmm. and he does he's got a large shed big table in it and he get he quite reg, regularly does big multiplayer games there at the club, we've done a regular one on bank holidays. We do 
it's quite regular to do sort of King of the Battle, Battlefield games, multiplayer, Seven Years' War. So how, uh, how big is big with those? Because, you know, I'm, I'm obviously aware of um, generally Eight players, typically. Eight players and talking several hundred, a couple, at least 200 figures per player. About, about three or four tables. Yeah. And each oh, table will have, each player's contingent will be about, about 400 figures, probably. Yeah, so it's a twenty-four foot table. I, I know my Russians. I usually end up bringing them all, and they get split. Somebody who hasn't brought brought figures. So or enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but the the brief is basically turn up and bring all your figures. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless we're doing unless we're doing an, an actual refight of an actual battle, which we have done a couple of times. I, I've run a few at Christmas time. Just you know, the Monday before Christmas, we've done a, a multiplayer game. Um, trying to be based on on a historical battle. So, so this is then. So even in our club, then this is still going on. In and a few years ago, I certainly Andy and Andy and I think Dave, you did it as well. Joined in on a couple of Gordon, Gordon's. <clears throat> Gordon did a series that ran a series of big games at his his home. Yeah, that's right. The the um his foggy they were based on fog. We called them Foggy Sunday. Um, yeah, true. Hasn't done one since. So I think they stopped in about 2014. I remember we did one yeah. on the day of the World Cup final because I remember we were doing Tannenberg and I was the Germans and the Germans won and the Germans won the World Cup final that day. That's how I remember it. Um, okay. I mean, I, I'd very little to do with our victory. I hasten to add that was basically Mark Corbett who um, won the game for us, but. Um, so is this um, possibly, you know, we're, we're talking about these things still going on, but maybe is this about, and, and possibly pulling back to Adam's point earlier, about a difference of what facilities are available these days? You know, are there, are there more clubs with, with permanent places to do? Is there, is there more people who, who can invest time in setting these things up? And actually the difference is people who curate um war game shows um in fact maybe even war game shows there's more one day shows but people who curate the um demo games at war game shows have all been reading online how joe public prefers participation games and have been actively managing out those um those big wow a zillion figure games um from the roster but equally there are, are more and more kind of, you know, retired, semi-retired people with big sheds. Um, Tamsin, it sounds like you've got a, 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 an address book of people with big sheds, um, which, which positions you as some sort of weird South London gangster. Um, but but is, is it that more people have got facilities to do this at, at home and it's just an issue about curation of trade shows? I don't know. I certainly, it shows, I can, I... There are, some, there are some shows that have gone very, very, been very active in pushing sort of participation games. Yeah. I think Hammerhead, which is the first of the first show of the year for Newark, yeah, I that is all participation games. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's what what they what what they've they've just, that's what partisan partisan and Newark well, partis, has partisan shows. has it set up so you have. One end of the hall, it's all participation games. Yeah. 
was very enticed from sort of a two foot by two foot skirmish to something a bit my a bit larger. No. Then you have then the, the other part of the hall beyond sort of the central ring of trade stands. You got the the demo games, some of which are participation. Hmm. Some aren't, and those vary in size from a six foot six by four table up to I've seen seen one that was eighteen foot by six foot. Right, but is that a thing? You know, maybe this is being driven by partisan because partisan or the organisers of partisan that seem, you know, this is me looking through the lens of social media, but but they seem incredibly well connected with the with the talking heads in the industry the 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 editors of the journals and the you know the people who write some of the more you know the, the lardies and other people like that partisan and hammerheads have got a really big um brand within the big voices in the hobby at the moment so what they do in terms of how they this is me talking about trade shows actually isn't it but but the way they curate that show although that series of shows really has a knock-on effect and in the the discourse around what's happening currently within wargaming possibly disproportionate for what is still just three shows but other shows feel they should copy it because people i guess bang on a lot about how wonderful hammerhead and the partisan shows are because of the way they're actively curated so it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy um yeah. someone's taken a policy to to run partisan and hammerhead like that and and people like it and and it creates a, you know, an expectation amongst other shows as well. I think it might even be simpler than that. People that run shows probably just talk to people that go sh go to shows yeah. over the couple of decades. Yeah. And when they they say, oh well, it looks pretty, but I just yeah. wish there were more games I could play. It might be that yeah. simple. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to say, but I was trying to expand it into kind of a thesis and, and something that I could build a career on because I did spend 25 years doing that. But, you know, just if you want to diss everything I've done in my entire working life, just and, and, and bin it with, with making it really simple. But yeah, luckily the trade show market is right. You're right. Yeah. And with, I, for a lot of the smaller shows, mm -hmm. I'm thinking shows like Broadside, Broadside in the Sitting Bone. The. Having games, you're more likely to keep keep people there. Yeah, true. Just sit but, them there. Yeah, that's true. But I think but if you go to a war game show, you're not going necessarily to uh, play the same game all day. You're probably going to have yeah. a look around and see what there is. You want to have a look at the yeah. shopping opportunities, stuff like that. And if you see an interesting rule set, somebody says, come and have a go. How long is it going to take? An hour or an hour and a half? You might think, yeah, all right, I'll do that. But if they say it's going to take all day, you're probably less likely to want to, you know, commit yourself to doing that, especially if it's not a rule set that you know already. Then, then, you get like Simon, then you get people like Simon Miller demonstrating. Truth. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but those games get but, done in about really an hour well. and a half. Participation yeah. game. Yeah. But it's huge. Yeah. So the, the thing is, though, uh, aren't we missing certain bits? Um, when we because we all play you know most of us right on here play a lot of competitions or go to competitions so that's almost like participation because we you know we get a lot of people come along asking about the games certain uh things certainly read in others 
Um, there's a lot of people come by and actually see the games, ask a lot about it, looking at it and try to see if it's something they want to get into as well. And that, you know, in the definition of skirmish versus big battle is by definition big battle. It's not the multiple multiple players or, you know, massive table. But, you know, if you're talking 300, you're still talking a six foot by four foot table. Mm. You're still talking, of um, course. you know, you've got a full army on it. Pete, I think I've got to disagree with you there because one thing that I am convinced of is wargaming is not a spectator sport. Now, I didn't say I it was a spectator sport. I don't go, I did, but I was I don't go to as much competition as you. About it. I don't go to as much competition as you um, these days, but I have been to quite a few. And when I finish my game and I walk around looking at other people's games, I know what's going on. And if I look at a game more than 30 seconds, I'm really bored. Um, so I don't think you would get too many other people, unless it's sort of like Martin's there and I can sort of like give him some grief. Um, yeah. Unless I think, I think um, that, that experience of you getting bored within 30 seconds does sum up quite a lot of our doubles team um, events as well, really, doesn't it? But, um, but that's probably a different discussion. But, but I think, no, that's, that's moving. That, that is nice. Adam's new name is Squirrel. Yeah, I, I think that is a nice bridge between those two points. I think what, if I can kind of... Okay, I, I'm sat here with a trade show obsessive mindset and, that, and that's the way I'm doing it. But we are talking about games which happen at trade shows because it's just impossible to see what's happening not at trade shows. But, but I think there's a, probably a, a valid argument that for whatever reason, and you could say proliferation of trade shows, splitting the audience, customer feedback, whatever, trade show, wargaming trade show organisers have probably actively curated out um, the yeah. the big spectacular game, and also there are probably, and I think this is probably the bridge. There are probably more smaller scale rule sets and skirmish rule sets that can be played in a shorter time um, that are much more suitable to participation games and demos. So, so the punter, there's a need for the. Um, um, the traders to hang on to the punters at the show longer, which is better with participation games. There are feedback from punters being amplified by voices in the hobby that are saying participation games are better, which which other trade show organisers are doing. They're then curating out some of the bigger games anyway at a time at which there are more people giving a go to smaller scale skirmishy short well maybe not even skirmishy but shorter duration participation games just because there's more of that stuff out there to do than there was a few years ago so it's not um it's not a a change through through lack of interest it's it's just all about perception and and availability of of rule sets that work that but, way but, but then that that bridges us on to the um, in. but that you know of course people are doing it to bring more people in but they're doing it consciously it's not um, it's being managed. It's not a response to a change in the um, hobby. It's something that's being managed on the surface that you see within um, within wargaming events consciously because that's what the public wants to see. And people are running these shows more in response to what people are telling them they want to see and, and do. And that actually works better for the traders. So you know, maybe there are as many people who want to play those big games and, and do them, but there's just more people who want to see that that skirmish stuff. But I think that's also I think there's also another factor going on. 
Um, back when we were young, and I'm, I'm not old enough to be part of the first wave, wave of wargaming, you know what I mean? It's like mm. Barker wasn't a personal friend of mine. I didn't know Tony Bath. Um, but I've been playing Toy Soldiers for quite a while now. And up until the late 80s, there was kind of really only one way to do war games. Yeah. They were no matter what wall set, they were all kind of similar. Napoleonic, yeah. you know what I mean? It's a six foot by four foot table, fifteen units. Each unit was about twenty four to thirty six. There was only one way, and it was round about the late eighties where there were new ideas, and the hobby ex- maybe didn't expand in numbers then, like yeah. it has now, yeah, but it expanded into style of games. It's expanded in ideas. So the fact that there are lots of different types of games now might be just because right. people have been coming up with new ideas. Late, eight, so, late eight is also when Games Workshop started. Really? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, okay. my, my first non-Games Workshop game was um, Angels 105, which was World War II plane skirmish. Hmm. So, Although, weirdly enough, the Games Workshop thing, they, but their rules basically went back to the 1960s and Don Featherstone and yeah. throw, it, throw to Wound. That wasn't new or interesting or creative in any way, really. Yeah. It was. It was very well presented. Games Workshop made never played it before. Very well presented. Oh, yeah, no. This is a different like issue, but I think also Games Workshop games do not get demoed at shows. And, and I think what we've done what we drilled down is I don't know one of the, but one of the essence of the um the big game question is actually saying what gets played at shows <clears throat> and what gets played at shows is is what the public at shows are saying they want to do more of and it's being actively curated by the people who are running shows and that speed of squeezing out the big games and bringing in the smaller participation games is being accelerated by the fact there's just loads of new games coming out that are quite small scale because maybe that maybe there's a thing that the big game does tend to use kind of old school retro rule sets as well possibly you know so that, that do you think thing. there's a bit of a scale creep coming on just because um because you've got a lot of people mo- moved across from the whole games workshop thing and use it 28 mil and that yeah. seems to fit more readily into the skirmish thing and um i've seen certainly seen from when i started playing saga to some of the recent stuff some beautiful figures, amazing figures that, you know, the quality is amazing compared to the first stuff I saw coming through um, in so many different mediums, um, you know, substances that they're using to make it. Um, but it's it, it's become almost an art form itself, you know, way beyond my painting capability, let's be blunt. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a really, really good question on the, you know, what's, what's chicken and what's egg on the... Um, the move to or the growth of some of these um, smaller skirmish games and are some of them coming along just because there's more 28 mil figures or, or are 28 mil figures being created in response to people wanting to play skirmish games because because 28 mil is very much you know what all these skirmish style games are are geared towards you know terms in your your um, infamy infamy people notwithstanding but um you know what's what do people think is kind of chicken and egg on that one is it games suiting what's out there or is it um is it the other way around i've not contributed to this but i've got another perspective maybe i've always played games research group let's cover competition ancients 
games is war games research group whether it be fog whether it be adlg whatever that's there's a there's a trend through time of that hmm. which leads into competition playing yeah which is a subculture all in itself and that oh, completely yeah 50 millimeter yeah because 15 millimeter is transportable it makes a pretty game then you've got a whole different strand of culture which are people who maybe go and play in a scout hut in Oxfordshire maybe mm. once a week and they take their kids there and, and they will tend to have 25 millimeter and they'll do it more as a, a hobby where they all play together and they might play the same game over and over again and I think that those are the two cultures so the demonstration games at shows and things like that are almost a different culture to what we are you know i mean us in you know central central london war games club is a company you know we're we're competition players on the whole we sit there we play games against each other we do play the odd gate larger games and things like that but it's the it's the it's the rarity that we do that i mean mm. i know we we do do that. There's people who know. Yeah, we, we play one on one scratch games, don't we? Yeah. Does, does, but we do sit down We don't sit down for a year to sit down and build a colonial re representation of Rourke's Drift. No, so there's true. bands of culture there. And yeah. as you say, Tim, with the shows, it's about having something pretty for people to look at. You know, I mean, this is going to sound like a criticism. When I go to shows, I'll go and go, wow, that's very pretty, but there'll be a beautiful representation of Rourke's Drift with a couple of people sitting there looking after the table. Yeah. And nobody really playing a game. Yeah, you want to see stuff happen. Which yeah. Is, which, yeah. And I think there are two different distinctive strands, and I think it's the game... Like a few years ago, was it Salutes, where... The Essex Gamers had that big, big one based on the Bernard Cornwall's The Fort. And they all get dressed up in costume. No, I don't think they, they did for that. I, it's <coughs> the only ones I've seen really dressing up, two groups I've seen dressing up in costume. People doing the, I think it's Blood and Plunder, the Pirates game, and there's, oh, the Boondock Saints, I think it is, mm. who do... So mostly sort of colonial. Yeah, I've seen them doing that. But no, maybe though. Again, one of the the things that we touched on before, you, Dave, you said like people who can hire a shed in Oxford or have got you know um, terms in your your shed down the bottom of the garden scenario. Maybe yeah. maybe years ago that sort of thing was only possible to put those games on at shows, and now there are just more people with with facilities of their own. You know, it might be a, a consequence of the, the greying of the hobby that there's just more retired people with big sheds um, who are happy doing that my kind of American style of, of it all happens in my basement um, stuff. Can I just, greying a hobby, I've yeah. heard that before as well. Hmm. Um, yeah. uh, no. There's more people playing toy soldiers now, vastly more people playing toy yeah. soldiers now than there were 10, 20, 30 years ago. And that's not loads of other blokes our age playing. Um, it's just they're not playing the same things. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you just look at the economic results of uh, uh, Games Workshop, I mean, really. 
Yeah, but even even if you um, if you use an example of <laughs> in the ten years I've been, oh sorry, eleven years I've been here in England. When I first started going to the game shows with you guys at Derby and the very big shows, you did have a couple of the big ass, um, you know, five six tables, yeah. ten thousand miniatures that someone spent five years painting. A bunch of people would stand around, look at each other, going. Yeah, something happened. I throw a couple of markers around, drink wine, and that was two days worth of gaming. Sounds pretty. It looked pretty beautiful. Nothing really much happens. There has been a big shift of. I think a lot of participants. You know, I know I've commented. They're very pretty, but they're utterly uninspiring as a visual war game. It's more of just a diorama. Very beautiful. Impressed with the skill, but as a war gamer who's there with a credit card going. What's the new pretty? What can I buy to play with my friends? Doesn't really float my boat. I've seen one of the big changes, I think, is for a lot of us. And I, I've seen it in the competition circuit. So, yeah, 10 years ago, we were all happy, you know, many of us were very happy to play one game for three and a half to four hours. You maybe got a result. Maybe if you're lucky, you get two games in a day. You come out utterly brain dead, really, really tired, and you do that for two days, and you'd pass out for, uh, for the rest of the week. <laughs> with the way, with, that. Yep. with the way some of these slightly smaller games, and what I'm really referring to is not playing a two six foot by four foot table, but more of the X wing, the you know, uh, the ADLG, the Saga, the more four by three table. You can get three to four games in a day. You can go to the pub and still have brain capacity. You can have another three games the next day. You could be leaving the competition by four o'clock. You can still go see your, your boyfriend, girlfriend, mistress, or whoever, and still have some of the weekend. And I think a lot of us are now starting to realise, while we're playing a game for three and a half to four hours, where I can get yeah. a result similar to a two and a half hour game, I can then buy twice as many toy soldiers because you, you can then play more games and life is all good. And also, I, just thinking, there's one last point. You know, we're talking about the graying of the hobby. War, ancient war gamers are graying, but that is a byproduct, I think, of you tend, to, you tend to get back into ancients when you're a certain age. When we went up to the, um, the British War Game, British Board Games Expo up in Birmingham a few years ago, it was it was really, really, really enlightening and fascinating and really good to see. We all thought, you know, us war gamers, us historical war gamers, are a big demographic of the war gaming gaming community. We got pulled back into our box yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, we're just not. We? The, yeah. You know, yeah. We the dingiest talk. corner of the. Uh, um, yeah. So I think yeah. for that competition, we had Field of Glory, we had ADLG, we had, a, um, we had Fogger. MM, I think, yeah. yeah. Maybe one of the game. I think between the four competitions, we maybe had, let's be generous, 250 people. Oh, no, it's there probably were, 120. It was half that, half yeah, that. There was between 250 and 500 people just playing X-Wing. <laughs> I think there was 2,000 playing X Wing. It was something insane. Uh, there was, there was literally, um, yeah, I was going to be saying about Birmingham uh, because I've yeah. been up to the expo there uh, several years. And um, you've even got the Pokemon ones who are televised, you know, in, yeah. in one, you know, doing their battle. 
Um, then you've got, you know, as you say, the X-Wing one uh, takes up a fantastic space and everything else. And, and it's great to see. I, yeah. But I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's more the time-based. It's not so much skirmish or even big battle. It's getting to a conclusion in that sort of magic window of a couple of hours so you can play several games uh, in a day. Um, we play Art Delgado because, as Dave was saying earlier, it fits into 15 mil, fits into a box, and we're a com com commuter club. Effectively, you can play a game in have, an evening. Yeah, can play in a game in the evening. After work, it's, most of us don't drive there. You're going after work, you play the game, you move on. Every so often, we do a big game when we've got you know, a bank holiday or something. Um, but a lot of other people have got more space, cars, you know, the garage thing. But the drive certainly seems to be that you can get a game to a conclusion. That sort of like, as you say, that diorama thing seems to be a thing of the past. So I think it's more that if you can get a larger game, still happening and i think this is where flames of war changed theirs a little bit to sort of speed up and get more to the point on it on some of their rules because their rules started getting a bit more esoteric um they they saw that as a pitch as well so it's a, it's not so much skirmish versus big battles it's more people want to actually get to a conclusion get stuff done uh, yeah. I, I wonder yeah. if um i wonder if social media's got something to play on this in that you know it, I think we're all pretty much in agreement that punters at a show want to participate quite often. And also there's a general trend about people want to play shorter games that resolve and, and with more choice that wish to play shorter games that resolve is being met when, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think that was your point, Adam, 20 years ago, there was only one way to play war games, and that was six by four, three and a half hours, Bosch, that's it, in every period. So what's happened in games at demo games and participation games at shows is what's actually happened with war gaming in that a need that the, the war gaming public have that they weren't able to articulate before um, yeah. because there wasn't social media for everyone to go, oh, bloody hell, I, you know, that's actually a bit dull. I'd rather get this shit over with. Um, or there's a lot of boring games at that, um, you know, that that particular convention or something. That's actually got out there and people have started listening to the audience and they've started developing, curating shows and the, the games at shows. And they've also started developing games because it's a bigger industry and people are better at commercialising this and there's more opportunities through the internet as well. So actually, what... So maybe they're, you know, it's not necessarily that um, the, the big game thing has, has necessarily died off, but the hobby is bigger and that part of it hasn't grown and it's been actively managed out of the place where it was seen before. Um, so the perception of the decline of it is actually much greater than the real decline. It's just taking place in retired people's sheds yeah. Um, instead of taking place at shows because people running shows have have got more choice and they're actually able to hear from their consumers their their visitors now and and then yeah. curate the and experience a, a lot of the war games that we play the rule sets we play you know we can scale them up and have scaled them up True. um adlg you scaled the 300 points we've yeah. done a couple which we've scaled up much further um Simon's with the um, ADLR. I'm, I'm sure you can do it. Uh, King of the Battlefield. Uh, several of you have played that over a bank holiday. And even Saga, I know we've scaled that up. Mm. 
um, to have, say, multiple war buttons on, on the table yep. at the same time. So it, it's almost like there's the flexibility because you can share the stuff over email. You can set, up, set it up a lot more easily than yep. you did previously where you'd turn up and get a briefing on it and everything else. It's that much more flexible, uh, and that's the adaptability. So it's actually able to, it's easier to plan those sorts of big games, but it's easier to do them in the kind of privacy of your own home. And it's just become harder to persuade a, a show organiser to let them, let them do it because the punters doesn't want that. The punters' attitude has changed and their punters have got a platform to put that voice across. So, okay. I've got another perspective as well. There's another perspective here that yeah. what we do is we create... So let's take this to a semantic level. We create a language which we all understand. Now, we have all invested time and effort to adopt what I would call a WRG, you know, which is probably a very outmoded system of language, which is the WRG ancients one, where you need to have read certain books, you need to do some research for yourself. Whereas people nowadays... They just want to pick up the games workshop mechanism where the whole language is there set down in front of them in one in a few books and they all speak the same language they all understand the same rule sets the, the mechanisms the troop types they don't you know it, it's a bit more easy to pick up and go for yeah no, I, I can see that i think i think but i think that's still a, another sort of a different a different way of articulating that thing about people have got a voice now the the consumer has got a voice and people are listening to it and and just because there's more a bigger hobby that's that's actually maybe my god we're talking about an upside to social media here that's really quite frightening isn't it um as, as a channel for people to talk about it and, yeah. um, and i suspect with with the time cracking on i think at, at that point um We've had a fairly discursive discussion, which is what we're aiming for. So um, we'd better fit in, um, fit in some of the other features before we overrun too long on this one. But but I think you know, looking at some of listening to some of the other podcasts and and reading some of the blog posts, um, I think we've come up with a slightly different perspective on it, which is is reassuring um, to to other people. But but there's still something something unique there about about that not quite being um the catastrophe it's just it's actually happening in secret in someone's shed maybe so there we go it's just an evolution you know i'm sure in a few years time we'll all get bored of skirmishes and all go yeah. you know what two meter wide tables only way to go i've got to get that three and a half hour game in let's do it yeah. right well, and in terms of in terms of let's do it i think the next thing that we do need to get back to that will never die in popularity is French Deep House Techno Disco. Hit it. That's, that's a palate cleanser, isn't it, really? Um, a mental palate cleanser. And, um, yeah, talking of mental palate cleansers, um, Andy, I think we're on for I your quiz, aren't we? Yes, I think you made, yeah, probably, almost certainly. Um, but we edit that out usually. Um, yeah. That's why this podcast isn't four hours long. Um, no, thank God for so, that. Right. No, thank God okay, for that. Okay, right. So Last week, uh, last week. Last week, the quiz, if you remember, was, was in, in memory of our friend Clive Duncan McLeod. And I asked three questions. The first question was, Sir Robert Clive won a famous victory in 1757. 
What was the name of that battle? Quebec. Quebec. Oh, that's Wolf. Yeah. 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 Wrong consonant, wrong year, wrong... Uh, wrong general. Wrong general. Apart from that, it was fine, Dave. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think that's, that's, a great, um, that's a great tribute to Clive there. Um, yeah, we call, we call that a new yeah. miss. Right. Yeah, you rolled a one on that one, Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lucky, one would have been the result. Right. Yeah. right. The, the, the Royal Navy had a warship in World War II called HMS Duncan. What kind of vessel was it? Was it a submarine, a corvette, or a destroyer? It's not a submarine. It's a Correct. destroyer. There's, there's, it's, yeah. It's a definitely destroyer, because there yeah. still is a destroyer. Yeah, one now. Duncan. Yeah, yep. it was a destroyer, that's right. And in which century was there a general called Sir Duncan MacLeod? 18th, 19th, or 20th? Oh, I thought he couldn't uh, I 19th. thought it was the Highlander. It was all yeah, of them. It was which the would Highlander. be all, all three centuries, but yeah. I don't think the Highlander was a general. No, no. And he wasn't a sir anyway. So, yeah, right. I'm, I'm not. Oh, I've, I've actually, no, in, in the spirit of Andy, um, I do have a discursive and um, slightly detailed and, and obscure, not quite HMS Duncan even story, but I think it's HMS Dauntless because the British current class of destroyers all start with D. I think there's um, Duncan Dauntless and a couple of others. A dragon, I think. Um, but HMS Dauntless, I think I'm correct in saying, the, the guest suite just off the captain's wardroom is known um, by the, if officially known, as the Alan Titchmarsh suite on <laughs> HMS Dauntless. And... Um, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. Um, because the boy Titchmarsh, as well as being um, an expert at gardening, does present the odd program on, on sometimes ITV about, you know, life in the forces every now and then. And he, um, he was one of, he was presenting that program and he was one of the very first guests on um, just after it got out for sea trials, HMS Dauntless. And um, the Navy, um, there's, there's a train of thought that says the British Navy is basically a floating drinks party on behalf of the Queen that, that operates in multiple different locations around the world simultaneously. And, and the boy Titchmarsh was, um, was given some great hospitality to the point at which he was unable to make it home off the ship. And um, so he became the first person to sleep in, in this guest room um, on, on HMS Dauntless, which by Navy tradition means that the... Um, the guest suite off the captain's wardroom in HMS Dauntless is now known forever as the Titchmarsh suite. So, well, that, true no, story for, for you there, guys. Right. True story okay. for you. Right. I'm a bit disappointed to find out that Royal Naval warships have got a guest suite. I mean, whatever happened to rum sodomy and the lash, you know? <laughs> well, maybe those two things are <laughs> what, what do you think guest suite's for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Where you keep the uh, pirate's missus who you've rescued and all that sort of thing from the Spanish main. Yeah, and wasn't Ram Sodomy and Lash a Pogues album? It was a very good yeah. album. Yeah. Very, very good. Right, so Andy, hit, it, hit us with um, let's hit us with the second half of your quiz. Right, okay, second part of the quiz for this week. It's um, questions are, oh, what a lovely war, because we just had the memorial um, of uh, 
the Armistice Day last week. So the first question is, which Oscar-winning feature film featured the top-scoring Austrian submarine ace of the First World War? Sorry? Is that right. the landlocked Austrian submarine? No, no, no they, did actually, they, did, they actually had a coast and they had some submarines. Tim, you do know the answer. It's one you, you will have heard of this movie. Right. Uh, the second one was, which World War I fighter race has a major sporting venue in France named after him? I think I know that one. Right. And the third one is, which German commander in 1918 did not surrender until he found out about the end of the war from a captured newspaper? Hey, three, three proper Andy level obscure armistice related questions. I think that's, um, and, and several of them were even set in France. So, so it's even tied in with the incoming music. Right. Well, disco is in the past. Um, the armistice is in the past. Disco is in the past. And soon this podcast will be in the past. So let's quickly rattle around um, the, the screen and see what's on the painting table for this week. So, Mr. Saunders, you in your, your near Stiggy in darkness now. What's, what's coming up for you this week? What? Um, heavy cavalry, four bases of, and the last regiment of the. Wurttembergers, which everybody's probably bored to tears off. <laughs> and then who knows what? Who knows what after that? It's a week of deciding what you're going to be doing next. It's going to be gaming this week. I'm going to carry on playing Simon at ADLGR. Right. And we're going to carry on with Napoleonics on Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, Ancients and medievals have been put on hold because we're not going to be playing any competition. So I'm going to play some other periods of history. Okay, all right. Um, Tamsin, what, what about you? Now your um, now your arms are back in back functioning properly. Is that going to finish off uh, finish off those fifteen millimeter Romans and Germans? Mm. Then I've got those the copper stone figures that I mentioned. I think it was oh, last yes. week. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. No, and, uh, assassin. Okay, so so small scale and then big scale. Yep. No no shopping. Just um, you've just got enough stuff in the pipeline. I've got enough stuff in the pipeline. Right. Okay. Peter, you're, you said you're back to stuff by, what was it, Wednesday, Thursday this week? Uh, yeah, more like next week. But um, <laughs> I've got, uh, yeah, probably next week. But um, I've just had uh, delivery this morning of um, some more contrast paints. So I wouldn't mind, you know, when I get a break from all the rapid stuff going on, uh, trying out a few of those. So I've got mm. like blacks and greens to try on a few uh, things and uh if i get a break i'm going to be ordering a few more napoleonics but uh yeah let's try and snatch a break to you know relax back yeah. and do some painting no excellent all right um andy what about you you i think you you mentioned some of the stuff that you've got on the list um now the camels are done and dusted yeah i'm um now now, now doing those those surplus thrations and that'll keep me done for a little while i've actually while doing the podcast finished off the Batai empire markers Okay, good. Look good. Yep. So um, that was a useful uh, exercise this evening. So yeah, so um, I've got, I think, 16 Thracians to paint. That'll keep me going all week. And then it's probably into the Italian um, micro ships. 
I think the the surplus Thracian tribe was one of their more um, more vicious tribes, wasn't it? I think were they one of the lowland tribes or the highland tribes, the old surpluses? But um, um, I don't know. They've got they've got they've got skirts, they've got cloaks, they've got um, pelter shields, um, pointy sticks. So there's not actually a, a no. There's not ever a really obscure sub Andy level Church of England surplus joke. To no, I'll I'll stop that that no guess no, no. Um, Simon, get me out of this hole, please, um, of, of poor quality, trying to match Andy in the world of puns. Um, what, what are you doing this week? So now that I've finished Renaissance for this week, until I um, get by some more, um, then maybe some shopping done, I'm actually going to be taking a break from Ancients and Renaissance for a while. Shock Whoa! Whoa. Um, I bought over the lockdown one um, an Osprey set of rules called Dragon Rampant. Yeah. It's a, it's a ah. Swedish game of just sheer silliness of playing fantasy. You, you've got um, any fantasy army you want. And yeah. so there may have been some eBay involved. Uh, I think, is this your 10, 12 millimeter dwarfs? No, so that's that's for ADLG fantasy. Oh, that's for ADLG, right. You can never have one scale. You need to have two scales <laughs> going. So I've got the 10 mil um, fantasy for the game that Andy is currently fermenting up. But for the Dragon Rampant, it's more of a 25 mil, you know, um, use your old games workshop fantasy figures. So there was an eBay accident and I bought a bunch of the Skaven range, uh, basically great big rats with fangs. Okay. So um, we've got um, vehicles, you know, rat wheels, um, rats with guns, rats with big claws, rats with hoods, rats with flags. So I'm going to have some fun just painting them up just for the sheer fun of it. I might actually have a couple of um, 28 mil rats with, with cloaks carrying American footballs under their arms if you want um, to add some of those into the army. Ooh, I've, I've, yeah. not, I've not really got a use for them anymore. Um, I'm not sure I ever I've, did. I've got a load of 28 mil stuff because I did all the Reaper miniature Kickstarters. So I've got absolutely buckets load of the stuff so i could try my contrast paints on that when i sort of come down to her that could be a thing that could be good um just trying to think who what else have we got um who else is on the list um adam what are you are you going to crack and do um oil paints with a 0.2 millimeter two to three bar or are you just going to go sod it we're just going to spray the damn things brown yeah i'm just going to spray them dunkle girl which is actually yeah. my favorite color um because yeah. Being a war gamer, you've got to love a bit of Dunkle Gulp, but they're, they're sort of like back in the queue quite a way. It's um, if I do anything, and I might have a lazy week if I do anything, I'll finish the summations and just prepping up these um, dations. dations. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only other thing I'm aiming to do now, um, after today, is um, buying a um nail varnish holder. If uh, Tamsin yeah. wants to tell me <laughs> um, where I might be able to purchase Amazon. Amazon. Okay, um, yeah, I might actually I do get that. them uh, I various ver various sizes, I three, four, five, six, even seven. Layers high. I, I bet I bet the boy Saunders buys his in Peter Jones though in Sloan Square. That's probably a different nah, um, Muji, Muji, much better. Muji. Muji's where you get your nail polish yeah, and your Muji nail polish remover quite, as well. You're paying thirty pounds for what you can get on Amazon for a tenner, so yeah. <laughs> Good. I think from my point of view, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, I will get these little six mil tanks done. If my um, Dunkel Gelb spray arrives, I might end up 
and some more little tanks arrive. I might end up doing some of those and undercoating them depending on what the weather's like. I might try and do, um, I want to try and get a few more games online, um, really start to get into the doing that during the daytime, trying to find a few more people to do, do stuff like that. There's probably a bit of turntable um, malarkey. And one day in the next week or two, I am going to wake up and go, I'm going to get the bloody Arabs finished um and, and crack on and do that because it's why don't you just do them one unit at a time rather than try and get them all done at the same time it's a, it, i think that's sort of what i'm drifting to but but i've got i mean so leave all many. the basing till the very end but you know finish the painting yeah. one unit at a time and you say right i'll have one day doing all the basing and then that's so i think that i think part of it is i've not i've not quite worked out how i'm gonna do them unit by unit i it's just oh, it's, yeah it's, it's just one of those things that falls I, I, I find it stores, a grind really. doing the basing yeah 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 yeah. basing well look basing basing is next week's special subject so yeah, i think you know we, if we can leave our dozens and uh, or, or tens of audience living on a cliffhanger of looking forward to basing chat next week that's, well, that's probably assuming the best they're still listening assuming yeah. they're still listening uh, so, yeah, one after theme, this one going how to on make basing long. easier for peter yeah yes that'd be indeed good. so we'll listen to that so on that cliffhanger then we will um, we will wave goodbye and we will see you all wow. next week. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. move on from this segment yeah. i'll just say how much i enjoyed your use for the term mug me off mystic man using his south london cockney football hooligan <laughs> term was i thought was very well done well, look it's it's a fulham football hooligan thing uh, really a bit like when um luckman mugged off the whole team with the paneka penalty which i'm still bitter Ful about um, fulham football later. hooligan what the, the period run out at it or something Ho, ho, and a bottle of Arrowdite.